Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. From time to time, it's been raised in some of the you know debates and about uh, creation that you know teaching creation in schools would really limit the advancement of science. And the I think there was a um, uh, a program or a uh, by uh, an American um, speaker and engineer by the name of Bill Nye, and uh, he he debated a, a creationist, and then uh, after that uh, put out a book. And from what I remember, in essence, it, his point was that it was so important that young people be taught the theory of evolution because this really uh, had the potential to lead to so many new, you know, scientific discoveries and this sort of thing. And, of course, the, the converse of this was that if, you know, children, uh, young people were taught creation, then this would really stifle the development of, of science. And, of course, this wasn't new. Uh, probably, uh, probably going back a couple of decades now that a... Um, a young uh, geologist, Andrew Snelling, graduated with his uh, PhD from the University of Sydney in geology. And he was a very strong and very uh, active uh, creationist as, and has authored, you know, and uh, well, been a co-author of a number of books on um, uh, creation and articles related to creation, evidence for creation, particularly from a geological point of view and the... Um, very uh, compelling evidence from geology for a global flood, for example. And it was quite interesting that uh, one of the uh, professors of a a very large um, Australian university um, raised um, or wrote to the University of Sydney asking them to rescind the doctorate that had been awarded to uh, Dr. Snelling, but uh, because he was uh, well, because he was a creationist, and really he shouldn't have that doctorate. So it was a very interesting um, scenario that has come out from that. That and this, you know, whole impression: whoa, we can't teach, you know, children about creation because it's really going to limit their um, their capacity in science or their ability to contribute as as scientists. And then, of course, there's the other view that those people that believe in uh, creation are really, um, you know, uneducated. Well, as this, uh, you know, topic is is discussed, I I guess there's another aspect to this too, and that is that there are many uh, top scientists who are Christians but they don't um, accept the um, literal um, creation account or they don't believe in the uh, life on Earth and, and Earth being only you know 6,000 years old or, or something like this. And so one of the things that I thought I'd have a look at today in uh, the talk was the um, lo- looking at you know the, the background for this because one of my science heroes is James Clark Maxwell and he was the physicist at the University of Cambridge that um, developed electromagnetic field theory and and demonstrated that light 
um, and these and heat, these forms of radiation were combinations of electric and magnetic fields. And he laid essentially the foundation too for, for Einstein's theories uh, then to be developed from. And Maxwell, of course, was a really strong creationist and very, very outspoken um, anti-evolutionist as well and a brilliant scientist. So that obviously, you know, dis, disproves that. And in fact, my book, In Six Days... Uh, why 50 scientists choose to believe in creation when I wrote to scientists around the world and simply asked them, why do you believe in a literal six-day creation only thousands of years ago? And when I looked down through the the list of this in the um, table of contents, all these uh, scientists have doctorates and we have, for example, um, Dr Jeremy Water and he uh, heads um, at the Penn State University the underwater um, propulsion research lab for the U.S. Navy. So obviously he is a um, you know a top engineer to have that at position to be developing and, re- and heading up the research in this area for the U.S. Navy, um, the underwater propulsion uh, laboratory there. And, of course, some people say, well, look, you know, he's an engineer. What would he know about creation and evolution? Well, need to revolu- remember, too, for example, people like Bill Nye. Bill Nye was an engineer and he's a outspoken pro-evolutionist and, you know, people gladly take on his, his books. If I read a little bit further down the list, I see Dr uh, John Kramer. Uh, he's a, a biochemist. And, of course, one of the guys that uh, led the team that developed uh, canola oil um, he works at the University of Guelph and the Canadian Department of Agriculture. I've, I've met him in, in person. I've met a number of his colleagues, too, that speak so highly of him and his research, world-leading research in his area. Um, and he's a biochemist and a very, very strong creationist um, as well. If I look down, um, Henry Zuhl, he was also a professor of biology and um, the uh, curator of an arbitorium uh, that was associated with one of the state arbitoriums in the, in the US. Um, if I look at um, Dr. Ariel Roth, uh, another guy with a PhD in biology who um, for many years served as the... Um, director of the Geoscience Research Institute and the editor of the journal Origins. Um, if um, There's um, Dr Keith Wanzer, who's a professor of physics at uh, the California State University. Riverside um, is uh, Dr John Rankin, who is uh, a senior lecturer in mathematical physics at uh, one of the Australian universities, I think the University of La Trobe. Um, is George Javer, another biochemist who is professor of biochemistry at uh, medical school at Loma Linda University, which has quite a famous medical school. Um, if you look at um, uh, Dr. Stephen Grocott, which um, headed um, the uh, research division, who's the general manager of research for um, a large Australian mineral processing um, company 
um, Dr. Andrew McIntosh, who uh, was a uh, professor in the uh, area of combustion theory at the University of uh, Leeds. And, of course, he had both a doctorate and DSC in, in mathematics. So all these people, these are... Um, are scientists that are experts in their field that are really strong creationists. So, for example, and, Andy McIntosh um, has written uh, books on on creation um, and on on Genesis. And of course, he's a a, a world authority, uh, as I said, in the area of combustion uh, theory and also the Bombardier Beetle and the. You know, and he points out that the combustion chamber and system and the chemical reactions in the Bombardier Beetle just couldn't evolve. You know, the thing, <laughs> the animal would uh, blow up during the experimental stage. And uh, another uh, professor is uh, Dr. John Simpala, as um, uh, professor of, I think, mechanical engineering at Penn State University. Then there's uh, Dr. Edward Bordeaux, um, the uh, theoretical chemist and uh, per, you know, professor of theoretical uh, chemistry at uh, Louisiana State University. Um, there's Dr. Kerr Thompson, who was um, the director of the US Air Force Geosciences Research Laboratory. So here again, they, these guys are really strong creationists. They write articles in the area of creationists and they're top scientists in their field. Um, Dr. John Baumgartner worked at the uh, Los Alamos uh, Research Laboratories there in the US. He's a geophysicist. Um, if um, I look at uh, Professor um, David Goa, um, who is um, you know, a professor of biochemistry at the University of, of London and developed a number of, uh, um, uh, discovered a number of the human uh, hormones. He was emeritus professor of uh, steroid biochemistry there. Um, we look at um, uh, Professor Walter Weith, who is professor of zoology at the University of Western Cape. So here, and, and he is, um, again, very, very strong creationist now. Well, he, he was an atheist. One had um, grants from uh, the Royal Society and, and so forth for his research. And yet here he is a really strong creationist now. Um, he converted from that atheist position as he was looking at, um, at the evidence there. Um, Dr. Robert Heckels, uh, professor of medicine at the University of uh, Colorado and uh, is, uh, a, was a chairman of one of the divisions of the American Heart Association. Um, then, uh, of course, we've got uh, Dr. Andrew Snelling um, with his PhD in geology from the University of Sydney that, again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, writes these uh, books uh, and research specifically in the area of evidence for uh, creation. Um, there's uh, Dr. Colin Mitchell. Uh, he's died now, but he was educated at the universities of Harvard, Oxford and Cambridge, and he was a geographer and an advisor to the um, United Nations uh, to um, with regard to agriculture um, and uh, climate and agriculture for uh, developing uh, countries. 
in the world. Um, it's uh, Dr. Stanley Mama, who's a professor of architectural engineering at Stan- uh, at um, Penn State University. Um, we could, um, you know, keep on going down through this list of sort of Werner Gitt, who was director of uh, the Federal Institute of Physics and Technology in the in uh, Germany. Um, I think that's the institute where Einstein studied many years earlier, of course. And he's a world authority in information technology and, again, points out the um, overwhelming evidence that we have um, that information must have an intelligent source. The DNA codes, all these sort of things, absolutely impossible for these codes that are in living organisms to arise by chance, random mutations. There's just so much information encoded in these biological codes that encode for all the different biological systems that work. These are systems that work. And we know um, at um, the, the present time, for example, scientists around the world are working so hard to develop a vaccine to combat the AIDS virus. Now, this will involve the, you know, I guess the synthesis of, of different uh, molecules and so forth that can counter the action of the um, AIDS virus. Well, we need to understand that the human immune system that deals with so many of these other viruses and and so forth that are already in the in the system and uh, bad bacteria and all this sort of thing that protects our body from disease and illness works. It has all these systems that work and they're extremely complicated. Now we're just trying to extend that by just one little extra bit to combat this other virus. We've got teams of intelligent scientists working around the world and they're, you know, seem to struggling to be coming up with a with a vaccine um, that will that will work. Um, there are a number that appears to be starting trials um, and so forth. And we know that they haven't been able to develop a vaccine against AIDS or the SARS virus and so forth. So this it's amazing that the chemistry that we have in our body works for a whole range of things, extremely complex systems, particularly in our immune system, defence systems in our body that are set up. And so evolutionists have to believe that the codes that are responsible for making the compounds that are involved and the chemical structures that are involved in these biological systems arose by chance, whereas Werner Gitt points out, and here we have its world authority pointing out that absolutely impossible for these codes to arrive by chance. They have to have an intelligent origin and a super-intelligent origin, far superior to human intelligence. When we look at the human systems, when we look at yeah the, the systems in human DNA, animal DNA and so forth. And again, if you want to read what these scientists themselves point out and argue in these areas of biology, biochemistry, geology and so forth. The book is called In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in uh, Creation, edited by myself, um, uh, John F. Ashton. And uh, so it's a matter of fact, I looked on Amazon uh, this morning 
and the um, it was uh, rated as uh, number f- uh, 15 in the top selling books on creationism. And this is interesting because, you know, the book came out a number of years ago, but it's still a top seller there. And by the way, some of the books that were ahead of it listed <laughs> were, were Bibles or were books um, supporting evolution and arguing against creation. So it's uh, one of the still selling as one of the top books defending uh, creation. Also, it's available as a free download on the creation.com website. So if you Google um, creation.com and go into their search engine and um, enter in six days, um, with that's uh, the word six, S-I-X, and in the search engine, and I think it's the first or second link that will come up will be a link to the actual book. And when you open that link up, it might say the preface, um, which is a section I wrote, and then down the side, on the left-hand side usually, there'll be a list of names. They're the names of the creation science, and if you click on the name, their article will come up. And so these are top scientists. So to say that being a creationist limits you being a scientist really has no foundation. And, of course, now if you go on to um, another website, uh, Descent from Darwin, there's over a 1,000 scientists now who have signed up to that, and these are all scientists with... um, Uh, doctorates in the fields related to evolution like biology, biochemistry, geology, paleontology, these sort of areas that now say, whoa, we've got major problems with evolution, the theory of evolution. It, It doesn't work. I think, as I've mentioned before, probably one of the main reasons why some, why, you know, some Christian scientists have their doubts about um, the biblical in six day account is that um, is the radiometric dating issue and I I mentioned recently too that you know there's some evidence uh, with regard to um, accelerated radioactive decay during the the flood and um, so I'll just expand on a little bit that um, Dr. Andrew Snelling wrote in one of the books that um, I um, co-edited it's called the big argument 24 scholars explore why science archaeology and philosophy haven't disproved god and this is a very interesting um, aspect to take Um, science has not disproved god and um, there are a number of uh, authors that um, contributed to this book Um, it has um, a number of uh, sections. First one was um, Has Science Disproved God by Barry Whitney, uh, then Fingerprints of the Divine All Around Us by Danny Faulkner, who was an astronomer, professor of astronomy who was a, um, uh, a creationist. Um, Where Did the Universe Come From? Kenneth Himmer. Uh, Designed by Information, Dr. Werner Gitt that I mentioned earlier. These are all... Um, guys that have contributed chapter to this book, The Big Argument. So it's edited by myself, John Ashton, and also Michael Westacott. And this is an interesting uh, account, uh, and of course there's many more chapters of this in the, in the book, Design in Nature, Evidence for a Creator by Dr. Ariel Roth that I mentioned before. 
Scientific Case for Creation by Dr. George Javer, um, Geological Evidence for Creation, Dr. Andrew Snelling, and I'll just uh, read a little bit from his um, there as well. But there's some other interesting chapters in this book. Um, for example, Where Do Thoughts Come From by Charles uh, Talaferro, um, The Question of Biology by um, David Catchpool, The Question of Moral Values from Stephen Cohen, The Problem of Evil by Dr. John, uh, John Pauline, um, Who is God and Was He Like by Dr. Steve Thompson, Will the Real God Please Stand Up, Eric Svensson, um, and um, then there's a whole section on God history in the Bible. Can the Bible be relied on by Sir Stephen Caesar? Uh, historical evidence for the biblical front, Dr. Jerry Berman. Oh, by the way, all these guys have doctorates that contributed to the book. I'm, uh, for memory, pretty sure they might have, might have been two. David Down didn't have a doctorate. Archaeological evidence for the Exodus. Um, historical reliability of the Old Testament, Paul Ferguson, archaeological reliability of the New Testament, John McRae, he's a leading professor in this area at the University of Chicago. Um, what about the Bible's scientific reliability? Dr. Tim Standish, another creationist, uh, uh, amazing biblical prophecies that came to pass, Dr. William Shea, um, the Masonic Prophecies Fulfilled in Jesus um, by um, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. And, of course, he is um, quite a well-known Messianic um, Jewish um, scholar that uh, writes in this area. And Evidence for Jesus' Resurrection, Michael Lycona. Um, and uh, he's also co-authored uh, books with the uh, mathematician William Dembski as well. And, um, yeah, so all those uh, contributors in that book, The Big Argument, 24 Scholars Explore Why Science, Archaeology and Philosophy Haven't Disproved God. And um, so in this uh, section here, looking at the geological evidence for creation, Dr Andrew Snelling uh, points out that when we look at a lot of work that has been done now dating recent lavas um, that uh, have spewed out of volcanoes around the world. And when we, we measure the dates on these lavas, they come out as millions of years old, hundreds of millions of years old. Um, sometimes they come uh, date as billions of years old, and yet they're historic lavas. We know when they erupted, you know, so many hundred years ago or, and so forth. And it's been recognised that, of course, something's happened that stirred up these dates that were of, of uh, rocks that uh, conventionally would be dated, you know, millions, hundreds of millions of years old and uh, mixed them up. But notwithstanding that, he points out that when we look at the geological column, generally the rocks that are deeper in the geological column give older radiometric dates and the ones closer to the top give younger radiometric dates. And this has led people to have perhaps more confidence than they should in the um, radiometric dating method. Um, but what it points out is that 
when during the flood there were obviously there were massive plate tectonic movements there was massive erosion sedimentation fossilization there were massive processes occurring and it's consistent that there were changes in radiometric decay occurring at also at catastrophic rates that yield radiometric dates much later than the true ages of the rock. In other words, there was accelerated radiometric decay. And we know that this can happen. A lot of people assume that the rates of decay are constant. And, of course, this is the basis of the radiometric decay calculations. But in actual fact, we know they change under conditions. They change uh, in relation to uh, sunspot uh, variation they change with as a result of uh, you know extreme uh, temperatures and and pressures so um, so when we look at this there is evidence of more rapid radiometric decay and firstly when uranium decays in tiny zircon crystals in the granites it produces both lead and helium and while the lead gives conventional old dates the helium, when we look at the helium, amount of helium there, it points to a very, very young date, and yet these are coming from the same reaction. Secondly, when uranium uh, uh, decays, there are radio halos produced for both the uranium and, uh, uh, and daughter products, such as polonium. Now, uranium halos supposedly take hundreds of millions of years to be produced, in contrast to polonium halos that form in minutes and days. Well, they find they're both together. And so, again, this points to very, very young ages for these uh, granites. Um, and so there's um, a, a lot of other evidence for a young Earth. The radiocarbon dating, where they find, and they'll find a granite that is, say, encased some wood, and they find they'll date the granite as being old, means years old, but carbon date the wood, and it'll be only thousands of years old. Secondly, he points out that the um, when we date, um, you know, the coal seems these all with radiocarbon dates all come out as only uh, thousands of um, of years old. And he then goes um, on to point out too. That is, and this is a very important point, that measurements made over the past century and a half have revealed that the Earth's magnetic field is steadily decreasing in strength and losing energy. At the measured rate of decrease, the Earth's magnetic field cannot be any older than six to 7,000 years. Now, that's important. And furthermore, evidence has been found the Earth's magnetic field has been rapidly reversing in the past, particularly during the catastrophic plate tectonics of the global flood and its aftermath. And only freeing decaying electric currents in the Earth's core can explain the generation and rapid reversal of the Earth's magnetic field in its young age. And it follows that if the Earth's magnetic field is only six or 7,000 years old, the Earth itself is young. And he points out there's numerous other evidences for the Earth's youthfulness, such as the accumulation of salt in the sea, the helium in the atmosphere, sediments on the ocean floor, and erosion rates of continents and all this sort of thing. And so when we look at this evidence, the evidence strongly confirms the biblical account. And we can see that the creation account often um, and, well, I think overall provides scientists with a much, much better base for science. And we've seen that there were so many scientists, leading scientists, who are making these contributions in the world today that are creationists.
You've been listening to Faith and Science, and if you want to re-listen to this program or any of the other programs, remember you just Google um, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 